podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Today, we're going to talk about the most precious kind of freedom, awareness. Uh, We're going to talk about living intentionally. We're going to talk about mindfulness. We're going to talk about meditation. We're going to talk about purpose. Well, well, sort of. We'll talk about purpose. Maybe we'll we'll argue with our guest today about purpose. (laughs) And we're uh, we're going to answer your questions with today's guest. The host of the Making Sense podcast is here. Sam Harris is in the studio. Thanks for being. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, pleasure. Well, so this this is our first public conversation since our documentary, which was a while ago. Yep. And um, thank you for being in that, by the way. Yeah, you know, honestly, I didn't even know quite what I was in. I, I mean, I, I know you had told me what your theme was, but really, I didn't discover it until I actually watched the documentary. I, 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 so I, the, the fact that I said something relevant to your documentary might have been an accident, but uh, pe- people have really enjoyed that film, and it's you know I get a lot of good feedback for it. So it was well, perfect, man. It was yeah. like it was a great uh, accent, a great yeah uh, opinion, a great point of view to add into the documentary. I know, yeah, definitely, people found a ton of value in your in your segments for sure. Well, the reason we wanted to bring you in today is you have a meditation app and it's called waking up and ryan and i have tried a bunch of different meditation apps uh we have a mutual friend dan harris who mm-hmm. has a great meditation app called 10 Percent happier i've tried calm i've tried headspace i've even tried meditating without an app yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> crazy <laughs> and, and i've got to tell you we'll, we'll talk a bit about this my wife and i uh, we just finished day 50 yesterday oh wow uh and, and so i actually had to do two yesterday uh it took us about 70 days to do the first 50 days Still, that's, uh, that's remarkably efficient that's i'm right. so glad to hear that man because mariah and i we just finished day 15 yesterday and it's it's take us 17 or 18 days to get to day 15 so i'm glad that like yeah i'm, I'm glad i'm not the only one that uh isn't on it every single day <laughs> well i've learned quite a few lessons we're going to talk about those today now sam the way this show usually works is we don't do interviews we use our audience questions as sort of jump off points for discussion so let's dive into some of these our, our first question is from Catherine in seattle i'm a new mom and i work and i am wondering how does the concept of minimalism fit within the complexities of our life and the realities of spending your day doing things like chasing a baby, cleaning out cupboards, following them as they're pulling things out. You know, is there this place of kind of just being accepting of the chaos of life and that minimalism might be sort of an, an elitist, unrealistic ideal that doesn't allow for people to fully just embrace and accept that life is messy and unpredictable and full of chaos and it's not about eliminating the chaos but it's about how do we walk through the chaos I guess with grace so you know what's fascinating about this question she talked about minimalism but I would just replace the word minimalism with mindfulness when Ryan and I talk about minimalism it often starts with the stuff but 
our material possessions are sort of this this physical manifestation of what's going on inside of us quite and, often. And really, like, we're just the minimalists because the domain was available for eight bucks. Like, yeah. when we started writing about this stuff, you know, yeah, almost... Right, exactly. We tried to get to simpletons.com, but it just <laughs> it didn't have as good of a ring to it. So, so Sam, I, I think what's what's fascinating, I don't know if you ever get this this question or even, you know, it, it's like a... a, a under it's like a, it's a sneaky criticism in a way or like is mindfulness only for elitists in a way um and when, when i talk about minimalism and ryan talks about minimalism what we're talking about is the intentional use of our resources when we think about resources we think about our stuff and our money but the most precious resource we have is our attention yeah and so maybe maybe you can you can talk about how do we navigate the chaos yeah, well, I'm glad you said that that final part about our, the most pre- precious resource being attention, because we, we think of it as time, and it is that too, but mm. obviously you can misuse your time if your attention is scattered or, or you're paying attention to the wrong things. So, uh, yeah, you each you have this moment and this moment and this moment, and you never get them back again, and it is it, it, the value of your life is cashed out in satisfying or unsatisfying uses of attention in mm-hmm. each of those moments. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, first, we shouldn't minimize how difficult it is to raise kids, and uh, certainly in the beginning. I mean, but, it's, you know, it's, and when you have, I don't know, do either of you have kids? Oh, yeah, he's oh, got okay. a kid. Okay, so you, 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 know, you, you know what's going on here. It's just a, in each chapter of raising a child, it seems like that chapter is never going to end, but obviously it's always changing. And you, 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 you know, infancy doesn't last all that long, although it's interminable when it when it's there. And uh, yeah, so you have to be realistic about how much time you're going to have to do anything you other you want to do other than keep this this kid alive. Mm. Uh, but ultimately, mindfulness is not a matter of having a formal practice, although having a formal practice is incredibly useful. I mean, it is a training, and that's why people like me build apps, or, you know, this is why I went on retreat when I was uh, young a lot, and it's like learning to do anything. It's like if you want to learn to play the piano, you have to at some point sit down and study how to play the piano and, and practice. But the actual practice is just... It's realized in moments, brief moments of being clearly aware of what is already happening. Mm-hmm. You know, so once you find what mindfulness is as a as a, just an act of cognition, once you once you discover what it's like to be aware of anything with true acceptance, without judgment, you know, you're just being bombarded by pleasant and unpleasant stimuli in in every moment of your life. Uh, and most of what you're doing, is just thinking about all that. You're thinking about the past. You're thinking about the future. You're trying to manipulate your experience in a way that that makes it more gratifying or reduces your anxiety. And mindfulness is the mode of just stepping back and being aware of sensory experience and the flow of thought without trying to push or pull anything, right? And and so and once you can find that, and it doesn't take that long to to find out how to do that, Again, it's a totally esoteric skill if you've never trained it at all. I mean, most people are, don't have a moment like this in their lives, really, uh, until they learn how to do this. But once you've learned it, it is not at all a matter of setting aside an hour a day to do it formally, right? I mean, if you could punctuate your day with a hundred or you know a thousand, 
you know, as many as you can you can find of clear moments of just interrupting your reactivity and your judgment and your rumination. That's what the practice is, and that ultimately is compatible with with a fairly chaotic and, and certainly busy life. Well, when, when we talk about chaos, I think part of the chaos, and it's obviously been amped up in, in today's uh, social media world, the internet world, the, the, we have this bombardment of you know half a million discrete bits, bits of input on, on our, our life every day, it feels like, and advertisements and everything else. Um, it feels like we're always trying to get somewhere. I was uh, I was checking my email this morning. Gmail said it got to this point where it said, uh, "You have no mail. Please enjoy your day." As <laughs> as if I have to wait until I have no mail in order to go out and enjoy the day. And you talk about this in some of the lessons on on your app, where it feels like we're always trying to get somewhere, and then we're going to bask in the sort of joy of being there. But but most of the life is most of our lives are the, is the journey itself. Yeah, well, and I, I think there is a lesson there where I talk about this illusion I was uh, living under, which I hadn't recognized, and, and a friend pointed it out to me. But I, I was I was at lunch with a friend and complaining about all of the stuff I had to do. I mean, just I had a to do list that just had you know many small and not so small fires I had to put out, and I was just feeling very stressed out about it. And it, the you know the there were two levels at which I could address this problem. One is just become mindful of the stress, become mindful of the, the thoughts, and cut through it moment to moment. But And that's incredibly useful to do. I think that's a necessary skill if you actually want to be sane, ultimately. But the there's a metacognitive framing skill, which in some cases is even more important. Because if you're just mindful of a situation like that, it keeps recurring. You keep it's just you you're, you're stressed out about all the stuff you have to do, and you're always going to be in a situation where there's a lot of stuff you have to do, and you just keep just trying to tune up your mindfulness in the face of that anxiety. But to reframe it can fundamentally change your your relationship to this mm. thing. And, and so my, what my friend said in that case is, you know, did you actually think there was ever going to be a time where you didn't have a to do list? You know, I mean, is it like is is that is that is is your effort to knock out the things you need to do predicated on this notion that you're going to get to a place of just you know you know to do list zero that is going to remain for any period of time? And do you even want? I mean, w- would you actually want a life where there was nothing on your on your to do list? I mean, what what are you actually even aiming for here? And I realized it was a completely false goal. That I was—I hadn't even consciously formed. It was just the subtext of everything I was doing and feeling. It's like I have to—I have to solve these problems. But every uh, every day of the rest of your life, on some level, is going to be about solving problems. And so you have to. Well, once you acknowledge that, you can drop back and actually just relax into. That's that's what it is, right? And and so that's a that's the kind of thing that you get a lot from. Stoic philosophy. I mean, you know, like if you read the Meditations of Marcus Aurelius, that's that's a, that's a great uh, reframing on on many fronts. I mean, he you know he would talk about he, he you know you should start your day acknowledging that over the course of this day you're going to meet you know many disagreeable people who are going to criticize you and and uh, you know present impediments to your happiness, 
And and just having that framing can give you much more patience with with you know anything that that all the things that are inevitably going to come. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the you know minimalism or mindfulness can help with that framing. Absolutely. I mean. You know, for me, like with minimalism or with mindfulness, I never looked at it as a substitute for chaos. I never looked at it as a substitute for problems. Like problems and chaos, I mean, like you said, I mean, those those are guaranteed things in life. Right. Uh, minimalism helped me to kind of hit these things head on rather than what I used to do, which was I would mask it with um, drugs and alcohol. I would, I'd stay really busy <laughs> so I could kind of, you know, ignore these problems. You'd add to the chaos to soothe the chaos in a way. Exactly. Yeah. It's like somehow uh, in the moment, adding to the chaos was better than actually sitting down and trying to face those problems head on. But like when I look at how I, I look at my problems now, um, being mindful, like I start to ask myself meaningful questions like, you know, how did I get here? What decisions did I make to get to this point? How did this problem arise? What can I do to learn from this? How can I be more intentional to not create problems like this in the future? And, you know, I think ultimately minimalism is a tool uh, that personally I used to get, I, I use to get clear on what truly matters in life. And when we can f really get clear on what truly matters, I mean, we can kind of cut out all of that superfluous uh, mind clutter or or maybe it is some physical clutter but we we know exactly or maybe we don't know exactly but we have a much better idea of what we can just start kind of chopping out and and feelings that we necessarily don't have to perpetuate or really you know dive into yeah i think i think when we when it comes to what matters like when you when you start to figure out what that is then all of a sudden the you know angry tweets they they become less uh well meaningful to us yeah. right mm -hmm. whereas if we're clinging to the acceptance of of other people etc um to sort of get our self-worth if that's what truly matters with us then it, it seems incredibly chaotic but i'll say the other thing that seems that really illustrates the uh, the chaotic nature of everyday life is when you're meditating even when you're essentially doing nothing and i've learned this from from sam and, and his app in particular it seems, you know, it's just chaotic even when I'm doing nothing, right? My mind mm. is where the chaos really is. Yeah, well, well entirely. It's, it's really, it's never a matter of the world, even if the world is presenting what, you know, on its face, objectively, uh, are circumstances where any rational person would would feel uh, anxious or t even terrified the, the the cash value of anything that's happening in the world is always your mind and it's 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 possible to have a mind that is deeply equanimous with situations that the, that the average person or even you know 99% of people would be would really have a, a really struggle with uh, and I mean the, and this uh, the important point to recognize is that the time to develop a strong mindfulness practice is not when you really need it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is uh, insofar as you acknowledge that this is this kind of skill is trainable, which it certainly is, uh, though most people don't understand that. It's the time you want to train it is when life is quote normal. It's not when something horrific has happened, which and and something horrific is going to happen to all of us. I mean, it's just you know people close to you are going to die. Uh, you're going to face medical emergencies personally and, and with, with people you love. And 
you know the, the stress gets turned up to 11 for everybody at some point mm-hmm. and the and so you either invest something in uh, preparing for that uh, or you don't and you know you get the, the, the people have a natural range in how sensitive they are to stress and how resilient they are and a lot of that's genetic no doubt uh, but wherever you're at training your attention in this way can be incredibly useful. And it's there's a very straightforward analogy to just physical training, right? You know, we all recognize that you know very few of us are going to become Olympic athletes, but the kind of training that would make someone a an elite athlete is the, is the same kind of training that we all can do to just be more resilient physically and, and healthier physically. And you know, so push-ups work for everybody unless they have some peculiar injury to their shoulder, say, with it, and th- that they have to work around. But uh, it's, it's a, there are standard exercises physically that we, that we know are good for you. And again, this was, this was esoteric knowledge 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100 years ago, you were just this goofy guy in that leopard singlet at, uh, sing- singlet at the circus, you know, ho- hoisting the dumbbell over his head, and you, you were part of the freak show, right? right. And, and, and so now that, you yeah. just have uh, a gym membership. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Catherine, I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Essential. There is a mindfulness chapter in there. There's also a chapter on priorities, and I think quite often if we're mindful of what our real priorities are. I think quite often we give lip service to what we say our priorities are so like my health's a priority or my relationships are priority but within we are spending most of our day checking email or or browsing facebook and i think the truth is our real priorities are however we decide to spend our 24 hours today those end up being our priorities so there's an entire chapter about priorities in there and then sam if it's okay with you i'd love to send Catherine a one-year subscription to the waking up app and um We'll, we'll find a way to make that happen on, on the back end. I, I think uh, the uh, the Waking Up app, that is the first app that has helped me to understand that there is this, you know, there's this cognitive piece of me that is kind of translating all of those bits of information. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you do a really awesome job of helping to identify the bits of information and then that that cognitive piece of the mind that is that is kind of getting all those bits of input. And the one thing I want to tell Catherine too is elitists still have problems. <laughs> they might not have money problems, but they still have problems. <laughs> yes, indeed. Ryan, what time What time you got? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. So Sam, here's what we usually do. Um, we try to answer these, these questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character, pithy uh-huh. response. We, we call these minimal maxims. But that's not actually what we do. We just wander on <laughs> yeah. a bit until okay. we until we figure out uh, something that is adequately pithy that Sean can tweeze out and put in the show notes. Yeah. And then uh, I think we put all the, the pithy quotes in one place now, minimalmaxims.com. I, I dug up two sort of problematic questions about meaning and purpose because I knew we would be able to have a fun conversation about these. So what's our first question, Ryan? Our first question is from Angela. You guys often talk about living a meaningful life. What does it mean to live a meaningful life and how can mindfulness help? Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Sam thoughts? <laughs> well, so this question about meaning comes up a lot because, you know, as you know, I've been very critical of religion and the one of the, the things that people think they get from religion mm-hmm. is a very clear story about what life means. And in the absence of that kind of story, they think, well, they've been robbed of something 
that's uh, crucial to living a happy life. Uh, and I, th- I think it's a false problem. I think you know, so. The question of what does life mean is the kind of question you ask when, again, your attention is not making satisfying contact with the present moment. When, when, when you're when you're actually experiencing your life directly in a way that's satisfying, that is precisely the sort of moment where you don't think, what does it all mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what, like what's, the whole, what's the point, right? So, so I, what I often think about is, I don't know that life has a particular meaning, but it's still possible to live a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like semantics, but, but the way that we get to a, a sort of meaningful life, and my, my pithy answer is, a meaningful life exists at the confluence of one's values and actions. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, we have a set of values, you know, or, or what you might call morals from your book, The Moral Landscape. And, and you obviously want your actions to align with what those morals are. You might have an ideal set of morals, but if we're acting the opposite of that, then you're in some sort of you know, moral valley, uh, so right. to speak. And, and, and so I think it's possible to live a meaningful life even if we don't know or if there isn't a, a, a meaning of life. Yeah, well, there's no question. It's just that the, again, look at this, this concern for what it is, because the people who articulate this concern most clearly are, you know, often advertise themselves as nihilists, right? They're people who think you know, there is no point to life, and it actually wouldn't be a bad thing if we all died in our sleep tonight. I mean, it's like, it's just, this is not, suffering is bad, but if we could just cancel the whole human experiment, that would be fine on some level. You had a guy on your podcast who, who I forget yeah, his name. Uh, David Benatar, the, the antinatalist. Yeah. Antinatalist, yeah, Better yes. never to have been born, right? So... <laughs> So this is (laughs) people like once you get these gears turning, people find uh, a a lot to say and a lot to worry about in this area. And what I always say in in this context is that this is essentially a mood disorder masquerading as philosophical insight. So like people are seeing the the world through the lens of their state, their 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 emotional state Mm. of, of consciousness, and through that lens. You can say, "What's the point of anything?" I mean, the laughter of a child is just like, "What's the what's the fucking point?" Right? <laughs> you know, and yeah, and Imagine so you saying that to Ella. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, right. <laughs> Why are you enjoying that, Ella? It's pointless. <laughs> and you, as a, like, so if you're not taking joy in your experience, and you're you feel disconnected from other people, mm-hmm. and you don't sufficiently care about their conscious state, so you're not like so. So compassion and Kind of the, the warmth of of the present moment is not uh, felt. Uh, it's, it's it's just it, it, so everything is antiseptic. Then in in, in that context, and in, and so honestly, many of these people are depressed. I mean, people who find this this way of of thinking very compelling uh, are often depressed. And yeah, and then it's then you kind of kind of drop out the bottom of your engagement with the world, and you think, well. There is no point to anything, um, and so I understand that. But 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 and and I've actually had to talk to people who are suicidal in this place, and they think they've reached their their compulsion to kill themselves based not on any kind of problem of mood, but based on a philosophical insight. They mm-hmm. actually think they have reasoned their way to the brink, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to talk to people and I you know here because. 
they have an answer for they have an answer that is intuitively satisfying to them for everything you're going to say like you know the, the you know we what is the point if we all die right and that's and the problem with that particular meme is that has become the foundation on which so much of of uh, a dogmatic defense of of iron age religiosity has been uh uh Hooked. I mean, it's just it's like a, that is one of the first things you hear from people who. I mean, it, you, you hear so many crazy things from people who are going to defend fundamentalist religion. But you hear things like, "Well, without religion, life has no point. Yeah. Without religion, there's no reason not to rape and kill your your, your neighbors." It's like as though everyone is just just mightily tempted on a daily right. basis to rape and kill their neighbors, and it's the o- the only thing stopping them is a belief that they'll they'll spend eternity in hell if they do it. Uh, so this is a, um, again, it's a false problem, but it's not it's not at all obvious to most people that it's a false problem. But I, I would just say it can be obvious to you in those moments when you are making truly satisfying contact with your experience, whether, you know, athletically or relationally or intellectually or sexually. or I mean, what, whatever, those moments where you are no longer looking over your own shoulder wondering when experience is going to pay off yeah right we're truly in the moment what we might call peak states or flow states yeah. um uh cal newport when he talks about deep work and it, these moments never am i asking myself like what's the whole point of this mm. I'm, I'm just uh i'm thankful in a way that isn't i'm not even using language to articulate the it's just like there's a feeling of thanks or gratitude of uh, wow, like I'm actually living in the moment. There is this moment. And I think it's why often it feels so good. Like I, this is, I'm actually experiencing the moment. It's not about necessarily the outcome. It's not about uh, you know, what I'm going to have for dinner tonight or whatever. It's right. what's going on right now. Yeah, You can see this in miniature when you think about what it's like to see a film that you really love, right? You're, you're totally engrossed in this film. The fact that the film is going to end is not a reason not to see the film, right? It's like mm-hmm. it, it, does, it doesn't diminish the value of doing this. You, you, we, nobody says in the middle of a truly absorbing film, well, the fact that this is only two hours long, it just makes this, this is, <laughs> I can't, I can't enjoy it? this. You know, this is, I, I'm done, right? Like, uh, and yet people think that somehow life uh, conforms to that kind of geometry, where the fact that it's only 70 years or 90 years Diminishes its beauty or value or interest, or I mean, that's, if if anything, the opposite is the case. The yeah. fact that this is the only circumstance of being that you can be absolutely sure you have makes it incredibly precious. Yeah, and, you know, moment by moment. Yeah, my pithy answer is the best life is a value-driven life. So very similar to what to what Josh was saying, but I mean, for me, you know, I'm on the. I'm agnostic, I guess. I mean, I was raised like really hardcore Jehovah's Witness. Uh-huh. Oh, um, yeah. I've realized, I've, yeah, I've realized like, you know, with that, and I'm not going to get into it, but, you know, I realized why I don't want to be part of that organization. So, I, you know, I'm still kind of um, up in the air with stuff. But what I do know is that when my short-term actions are aligning with those values, it, it, when they're aligning with these beliefs that I have right now, which I might not have these beliefs in 10 years, they might completely change. Yeah. 
But I know that when my actions are in alignment with those things, that is where I start to find meaning. And, and purpose kind of pokes its head out too along the way. Um, but, the, but the best recipe for discontent is going against what you believe in and, and going against your values. To, to uh, answer Angela's, the last bit of her question, how can mindfulness help? Well, I think if you don't know, Angela, what your values are, what your beliefs are, I mean, get clear on those so you know at least what steps you need to take to start heading in the right direction. And I, and again, I think mindfulness, uh, minimalism, simpli- whatever you want to call it, simplicity, that helps kind of clear out all of those superfluous things so we can take our most precious resources and focus them on what is truly important. Yeah. Our next question is from Melody. What's my life's purpose? <laughs> can mindful can mindfulness help me pursue that purpose? And, and I think so. This is an extension of what Sam was just saying a second ago. But I, I, all I have is a pithy answer for you. If life has a pur- purpose, it involves suffering and problem solving, and um, that's usually not the answer people want to hear, right? But mm-hmm. but your life is going to involve some sort of pain or, or, or suffering. There's no doubt about that. But to echo what Sam was saying a second ago from that lesson from the waking up app is you're not going to get to a point where you have no problems. And by the way, if you get there and you stay there for too long, you're going to be bored out of your mind. Mm. Absolute certainty it might be what we're looking for, mm. we think, but it's not actually what we're looking for. I think yeah. real fulfillment comes from, from actually solving the problems themselves well i think we get caught up in like enjoyment being the purpose of life or being happy being the purpose of life but like you said it's like if if you had nothing but enjoyment and happiness in your life like that's eventually going to be a dull life right what's called mania my my father was was manic depressive and schizophrenic and and he had manic states you know elaborate relationships with people who didn't exist in in the real world and often had yeah, uh, just fits of mania, and and I mean that's that's at the terminus. That's that's sort of uh, the the extreme, almost parodic example of uh, of this. But yeah, life isn't about just um, ephemeral pleasure, and I think too often we we confuse it uh, as such. Yeah, yeah. I, well, just to be clear, what mindfulness is is the condition of noticing what your experience is like without being lost in thought about it, right? So the people are spending their their time, 99.9% of their time, lost in a story they're telling themselves about their, their lives. And everything in the present moment, no matter how pleasant or unpleasant, is is coming through this this filter of endlessly conceptualizing and discursively narrating and reacting to and judging experience. And what you discover when you learn to be mindful is that consciousness, just that in you which is aware of experience, has certain characteristics which, which, are, which, conv- which convey the relief and well-being that you are otherwise disposed to seek through all your efforts. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, it's like the, on some level, we're, all of our efforts to solve our problems uh, are a matter of trying to have a good enough reason just to be able to relax into the present moment, really relax, so that you just you can just put down the burden of your life and give up the war and just come to rest, right? And and, and so, as you say, joy, it's not about 
always you know, finding a joy that doesn't go away or finding a peak experience that doesn't go away because whatever is whatever comes is going to go right I mean, mm-hmm. what what you have is you have this condition in which things are continually appearing and changing and this is you know consciousness for lack of a better word and uh, it's it is never a matter of getting some of the contents of consciousness to persist for all time because that that's impossible. I mean, it's it's neurophysiologically impossible. It's just it's it's as the the physics of things, the nature of something that arises is to pass away, mm-hmm. and yet this condition in which everything is arising and passing away sights, sounds, sensations, thoughts, moods, emotions uh, that is. It really is open and unstructured, and and the more you drop back into it, just and just witness the flow of experience, the more you begin to feel the freedom that comes with just recognizing that that which is aware of joy is the same thing that's as that which is aware of sadness or depression or fear or anxiety, and it is actually not deeply colored. Or in, or in the end, colored at all by what's appearing, and so that's the, so the the key to finding deep equanimity, even with a, a a quintessentially negative experience like sadness or or you know physical pain, is to recognize that consciousness itself never actually takes the form of of what it knows, and it's it's just it's, you know there are many analogies here, but it's you know one is like it's like a mirror, you know whatever you put in front of a mirror, it's it is reflected by it. Uh, it's completely apparent within it, and yet the mirror never takes the shape of the ugly thing that has been brought before it, and it's never improved by the beautiful thing that's been brought before it. And you can actually, I mean, again, it takes some training to do this, but when you really establish an experience of mindfulness where it's, you know, you're, you, you're mindful for long enough so that you can really test the, 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 the character and quality of consciousness in, in, in many moments strung together, you can see that, yeah, it, it's, there is a, a phenomenon that you know, the Tibetan Buddhists call one taste, where it's just, it doesn't matter what your experience is in those moments. And, and so in, in those moments, and again, those can be you know, hard won for some of us, but in those moments, it really is a matter of not being able to find any of your problems. Right now, they, you'll pick them up again in the next moment when you're thinking about your life. But um, it is—it's an incredible relief to know and to experience this kind of interruption of reactivity, where you just see, like, you know, whatever else is going on in your life, you can actually find real rest again, if only for a moment. But you could do that a hundred times a day, and that's—and that's what—that's what the the training ultimately is. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, my pith answer is, is this, the purpose of life is to live as meaningfully as possible. And we talked about what a meaningful life is during the last question, but just to reiterate from Melody, don't confuse meaning with happiness and excitement. That is, that is just part of the overall process. Yeah. I forgot we wanted pithy answers here. Oh, you're good. (laughs) I'm going to give you one pithy answer, which is if you're suffering, you are lost in thought. Ah, that's and good. that and that is, I mean, as an algorithm to uh, uh, or heuristic to have running in your brain, that's it's incredibly instructive because I guarantee you, if you are psychologically miserable in any way, you are just you have been thinking continuously without noticing it, and until you know how to be mindful, there will be no alternative. 
But once you know how to be mindful, you will be able to interrupt that that process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Looks like Podcast Sean has put together some surprise questions for us this week. We'll see how many of these we can get to. Is social media making us less mindful? How do I stay mindful of my personal values despite others' values being thrust upon me in the workplace? Is ambition helpful or harmful? Can psychedelic drugs help with mindfulness? How do I eliminate distracting trivial thoughts so I can focus on the task at hand? And also, uh, I want to chat with Sam about why advertisements suck. Uh-huh. We don't do any advertisements on, on this podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, shout out to our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. Um, also, meditation for children. My daughter's getting ready to turn six, so we're going to talk about oh, nice. this as well. There's some stuff in your app. And uh, three things I have learned from Sam Harris about meditating. And if you want to hear all that, you can listen to this week's Maximal episode available exclusively on Patreon. That's right. You're currently listening to our weekly Minimal episode, but each week, Ryan and I, and well, Sam this week, we record an entirely different long-form Maximal episode exclusively on the Minimalist private podcast, which gives us the private space we need to talk about a whole bunch of stuff that we can't always talk about in public. Plus, Patreon is the best way for us to fund this podcast and keep it 100% advertisement-free. When you subscribe to the Minimalist Private Podcast on Patreon, you'll also receive a personal link so that our maximal episodes play in your favorite podcast app. You'll also get access to our entire back catalog of more than 100 private podcast episodes. Find all the details and all the good stuff, including additional private podcast episode every week over at theminimalists.com slash support. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? You know, being informed is more important than ever these days, Josh. So I just want to encourage people to read more and get informed. And now, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, Josh and Ryan. It's Connor from Toronto. I'm 17 and I'm out finishing grade 11 right now. So exams are coming up and my mental clutter is coming to all-time high right now. So I use something to help me focus on studying and writing that I recently started using. And it's an app called Pomodoro Timer. So that's P-O-M-O-D-O-R-O. It's a really simple timer app. And it's based on a kitchen timer that uses a productivity practice called the Pomodoro Technique. It's a time management method that's used to break down work into intervals, traditionally 25 minutes of concentrated work separated by short five-minute breaks. So after a number of cycles, you reward yourself with a long break that's usually 15 minutes. And on the app, you can adjust the duration of the work sessions and breaks. You can set daily targets, and you can even catalog your progress over time. So I found it that over time, I've been working more productively and getting more out of my study sessions. And I hope you can find value in that, too. Thanks. Hi, my name is Natalie. I'm from Cochrane, Ontario. So I want to start by saying that I really enjoyed your recent Stop Buying podcast. I would like to share how I limit my shopping on Amazon. I only pay with gift cards when shopping online, so once I have added the items to my cart, I then have to buy a gift card at the store and apply it to my account before finalizing my purchases. This makes buying online less convenient and it allows me to think before I buy. If it is not worth my time going to a store and buying a gift card, then I probably don't need the items in my cart. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Sam Harris for joining us today. Make sure you check out his meditation app. It's called Waking Up. And check out his wonderful podcast called Making Sense. You can find all that at samharris.org. And real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that is going on in the life of the minimalists. Exciting news, y'all. We're currently working on our fourth book. Yeah. 
It's called The Messy Minimalist by Ryan Nicodemus.com. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's uh, it's called Love People Use Things. So we've been we've been using this tagline for a while now, um, and it is really the embodiment of our message. When, when we talk about living simply, about living with less, living a meaningful life with less, it, it often has to do with how do we decide to love people more and just use things because the opposite has, has crept into our lives. We're loving all of our things, and we start using people. Yeah. And we always say the opposite never works, right? And uh, so it's a relationship book, right? It's um, let's talk a little bit about it. It's sure the eight essential relationships in our lives. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when you think about relationships, you just think about the people, right? But there are so many other things in our lives that we start to form relationships with, whether it's our uh, technology mm -hmm. or whether it is like actual people, right? Uh, our stuff, yeah. our values, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with the truth. Right, right, yeah. Be because, and so what we want to do is sort of illuminate each of these these eight areas, and we're doing something right now with uh, some of our Patreon supporters, uh, 47 different families are participating in a packing party right now, <laughs> and it's not just so you can pack up all your stuff, it's a bit of like a case study, we're doing these 47 different ca case studies, and it's not just about packing up your stuff and then unpacking it, that's part of it, but we're, we're getting over 2,000 bits of data from these folks, what is your relationship with the truth? What did you learn about your relationship with yourself throughout this process? Mm. Your relationship with your family and other people in your life? Your relationship with your creativity? How did that change? Or what did what did it illuminate for you? And so we're going through this book and it's different from our previous books because the other books included some sort of stoical or personal experiments we've done and uh, some other insights we have. And, and this book will certainly have that, but we're also taking individual case studies, other people's experiences, yeah. and folding it in here. I mean, we, we know what a packing party looks like for single guy, Ryan Nicodemus, but what does it look like for a family of five? Right. Yeah. And and so taking other people's uh, case uh, case studies and experiences, folding those in with our own empirical wisdom and insight, but then also what do the experts have to say on these different areas, right? Because yeah. you and I might be experts on minimalism, but what are what are the experts about money saying about our relationship with our finances? Yeah. And so let's let, we're going to talk to a lot of folks about that. Now the book won't be out until 2020 or maybe even 2021 because there's a giant election. Uh, we're working on it right now. But in the meantime, uh, until that book comes out, you can support our work if you'd like by buying one of our other books. We have three books. I tend to recommend them in this order. Everything That Remains is the memoir that Ryan and I wrote. Well, mainly because it's the best thing we've ever written. Yeah, I, I, I think so. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's sort of the why behind the what and the how. Yeah. The next book that I recommend is Minimalism. It talks about the five values. And that is the what book for me. So mm. you start with the why, you go to the what. And then Essential is the book that is sort of the, the how-to book book so the why to the what to the how to in that order everything that remains minimalism essential if you're going to start somewhere i'd recommend everything that remains you can find all of those books on our website or if you can't afford to buy one of those books i strongly recommend going to your local public library yeah they usually have it or if they don't have it in stock they're really happy to order them for you there are thousands of libraries throughout the united states who have our books or will order our books for you and Absolutely. you can check them out there for free also uh today would be my mother's 74th birthday, Aww. Ryan. So I just want to say thanks to her real quick. She died 10 years ago this year. And it was the, the insights I learned from that whole experience that uh, led us down this, this path toward minimalism. And so in a way, she never got to see any of this come to fruition, unfortunately. And I, it's unfortunate. I would love to be able to share this with her. But she was able to um, 
well, the death and her own struggles illuminated a path for me to move forward, mm. us to move forward yeah. and live a more intentional life. And so wrote about uh, her experience in everything that remains as well. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839, or send a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalist. If you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. And you'll also receive our simple Sunday emails each week. For our added value this week, Ryan, you and I went to a concert recently. Moth and the Flame. Yeah, the Moth and the Flame. It was a great concert. It, it's like I, I was talking to Nate Pfeiffer, who does the music for our films. He produced their first album, which is yeah. Um, they're, they're initially from Provo, but they live in uh, Los Angeles. So now. much, so many good musicians come out of Provo, man. Right, unbelievable. Now the reason I wanted to, to talk to you about them now, their new album is called Ruthless, and I, I definitely recommend it. It's like eleven different ruminations, eleven songs, eleven ruminations about modern day rumination in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, there's some great songs on there. There's a, a song called Beautiful Couch, where it's about how. Uh, a sort of love, loved one or significant other moves on from you mm-hmm. and we are like looking at them on Instagram. We're stalking them on Instagram. It's a whole song about stalking someone on Instagram. Yeah. That's a great song. There's another one called Do What You Love and it's sort of about bucking your parents' expectations so you can like pursue what you're passionate about. What a great song. The song we're going to end today with is called The New Great Depression. And when they sang this song, it's a song about depression, like not the Great Depression as in the 1920s and financial depression, but mm-hmm. the new Great Depression is like we're all feeling alienated, lonely, anxious. Yeah. And uh, there's a it's lot. It's funny because we're connecting more than any other time in the world with people across the world. Right. But it's, pr- yes, it's one of, I, I, I agree with what they're what they're saying is it's still one of the it's it's one of the most connecting times but also one of the loneliest times and, and the, the line from that song is the voice in my head is ruthless and mm. while they were singing this song on stage this giant seven foot monster comes into the audience yeah and the, there's this monster in my head that is ruthless and he introduced here's ruthless here's the seven foot monster yeah and he encouraged people to hug ruthless as he came through the crowd these giant eyes now he's also in the video so if you're watching this on youtube jordan maybe put a link to the the video for the new great depression there's a great video of this kid who's feeling depression and eventually he warms up and starts to get along with ruthless the Mm. monster it's a phenomenal song the reason I like their music. I always liked their music. It was the first time I ever saw them live. Yeah, the, me too. The, the lead singer Brandon has such a stage presence. Like you could tell, he is like he's like meant to be up there in a way, right? <laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned Provo, mm-hmm. a great music scene there, and there's a, a venue there called the Valor, which you and I have been to. Mm-hmm. The guy who owns it, Corey Fox, needed a kidney transplant a few years ago. Oh wow. He was uh, he was going to die without it. Brandon, the lead singer of the Moth and the Flame, gave his kidney. Get out of here. To Corey. Wow. That's so he gave one man. of his kidneys. Um, I mean, such a good dude and yeah. such a great album. Let's play him out today with The Moth and the Flame. This is the new Great Depression. And if you leave here today with just one message, y'all, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Breathe it in. Let it out. So familiar now. Welcome home, been a while since you came around I was young, saw your face when the lights went out 
When the lights went out, I 